people, but uh, as I was reminded uh, throughout this week that uh, you don't lose battles and you don't waste battles, and that is a huge uh, reminder for each and every one of us, God, um, as we're going through hard times, as we're battling through life and struggles and and, and mourning and death and, and sickness and all the things, God, that um, you just, you are always there and, and you don't lose and you don't waste. And that is, that is a great reminder for each of us, God. I just pray for this time and I pray that it is a blessing to you, Father. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to open up. Uh, we're going to start off verse one as you should. Uh, so so there's, a, there's a name right off the bat. Don't be scared. We're going to say it together, right? It says, then Nahash, so follow me, Nahash. One more, Nahash. Okay, so Nahash, we don't know really much about him yet, but let's just continue. The Ammonite, what do we know about him now? Not, not Israel, something else, so probably an enemy. We're not sure. Let's keep reading, right? The Ammonite went up and besieged Jebus Gilead. Jebus Gilead, let's say that, Jebus Gilead. Thank you. Okay, I'm getting my kid, my kid uh, Sunday school out of me right now. Okay, so you got the it's two parties, right? Nahash, Jebesh, Gilead. And all the men of Jebesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. So Nahash goes over and besieges this town and the, all the men come out and says, hey, make a treaty with us. Uh, we don't want war. We don't bat- want battle. Why, why are you sieging us? We're a little afraid, right? Uh, verse 2, but Nahash, the Ammonite, said to them, let's, try, let's figure out if this guy's a good guy or not so good guy, right? On this condition, I will make a treaty with you. I'll make peace with you. Now, I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. What do we know about him now? <laughs> Friendly, right? Are you friend or foe, right? Scared. What, what is going on? Why that? Right? So let, let's, let's use our big boy brains, right? Let's, let's think about this for a second. Right eye. What, what do we think about that? Why right? Why, why eye? You can't shoot? Yep, okay. Maybe symbolism. You can't see right? No depth. See, in the Bible, and, and there's a little bit of like confusion about this. This book is written a long time ago, right? There's a symbol of the right eye, right? And the symbol of the right eye is, is largely seen as this view of your faith judging what is right and wrong, right? Your, le- your left eye is your like, so your thought process of what is right and wrong. When you're talking about your right eye, it's more about faith. So when this guy comes, to God's people, says, I want you to remove your right eye. I'm going to take your right eye, not just I'm going to want you to remove it, right? What is he saying, if that's true? Take your faith. I'm going to remove everything, who, what defines you as a people, because this is what defines them, has defined them as a people. Uh, up until this point, who has been Israel's king? God right? There's the, I want to fix it. Scott messed up. Don't tell him I said that, right? But the, like a lot of times we say, oh, Israel hasn't had a king yet. Not true. They haven't had a king like all the other nations. Do you remember this saying, right? The king like all the other nations, the human, a, a person, right? And, there, and lots of warnings. And hey, if you want a king like all the other people, they're going to take you to war. They're going to take you to battle. They're going to take your men, your boys, all that stuff. And they're going to send them out. They're going to get slaughtered. Do you want that? And Israel's like, yeah, we want that. 
right? So, so they're saying, oh, I want to take your right eye and let's bring disgrace on all of Israel. The very characteristic that defines you, I'm going to remove that from you. Verse 3, the, the elders of Jabesh, or that city that's being besieged, said to him, give us seven days respite that, that we may send out messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. There is so much wrong with that statement. From a very general sense, even, the people of God is saying what? We need someone to save us. Who's going to save them? God, who has saved them? And he's, they're saying the elders, the leaders, the people that should know the most, that's been around, that's seen it firsthand, is saying, let's just, like, maybe. You know the whole right eye thing? Maybe. Let's put, a, let's put a pin on it. Let's see what happens. That's insane, right? Uh, 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 the elders of Jabez, uh, give us seven days respite. And that we may send out messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if no one is to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. One simple obstacle has removed their faith from them. Their right eye? It's already gone. The, the faith. The thing that, that they've said, God is our king, God is our warrior. They've seen the ark. Do you remember this from a while ago? They, they went out, they lost the ark, and the ark, this thing, destroyed everybody. They saw it. This grand faith, one obstacle, gone. I wish that could apply to us. I can't. I'm just not that good of a preacher, right? How much of the time does one simple obstacle come up in our lives and everything we know, everything we've seen, everything we experience gets thrown out the door? We, we fight one battle and we get so scared that we forgot that God has won a million battles leading up to this point in our lives. We have nothing to fear. They have nothing to fear. And they are already accepting defeat. One guy shows up. Yeah, we're, we're done. Let's all give up our guy. Uh, let's all give up our right eyes. We're, we're done. We can't handle this. That's insane, right? Um, verse 4, when the messengers came to, uh, to Gibeah of Saul, so where Saul was, right? So the messengers went out, so they're, they're oh gosh, let's send out messengers, let's just see what he happens, right? Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Why? Not only are the people accepting defeat, everyone who hears about this is already accepting defeat. For, for us, for us uh, Bible thunkers, right? What do you think Saul's going to do? You think he's going to cry and give up? <laughs> Let's keep going, right? Now behold, Saul was coming up from the, the, from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people? They're all weeping. So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these things, and his anger was greatly kindled. Whew. 
Spirit of God did what? That's, that's anger? What? That's not a word that we like to use. What? The anger? Wow. Huh. Greatly kindled. Verse 7. He took a yoke. What, what was he just doing? He's behind, he's behind oxen. He takes the first thing that he has, right? <laughs> and, uh, he takes the yoke of oxen and cuts them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territories of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, whoever does not come, up, uh, come out after Saul and Solomon, Samuel, sorry, uh, so shall it be done to his oxen. So a yoke, can he be a farmer in here, right? No, okay, so we've talked about this when yoke comes up, right? We're not talking about a chicken yoke, not talking about an ox yoke, right? Like, uh, so an ox comes, and, and there's, there's one ox, there's two ox. Now, now they're strong, but if they're doing, trying to do one thing, they're not going to go together, and they're going to turn, and they're going to go in circles. One is stronger than the other one because that's how muscles work, right? And, and eventually, they're just going to keep doing circles. So yoke is they got this big wooden plank-looking thing that attaches to both of them, and what happens is now that, oh, they can't move, they have to go together, right? So this king takes this yoke, destroys it, sends them everywhere. Now, there's, there's two symbols that I see from this. First is, hey, whatever you're doing, stop. If you're farming, cut it out. You're not, not only should you cut it out, if you don't cut it out, I'm going to make you cut it out. And, and, and it's, you're not going to be able to do it ever. You, all your tools, everything is going to be destroyed, right? Now, think about the tool itself. It's a tool that brings people together. A king is saying, I'm going to destroy the thing that brings you together. As a community, we're going to separate ourselves from you, right? This, this, this thing that brings us together is going to be destroyed. So if you don't come, if you don't help, guess what's going to happen to you? There's no we anymore. It's you and it's us, right? Uh, and and uh, the dread of the Lord, that's a hard word, fell upon the people and they came out as one man, a singular unit, right? Verse 8, when he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. How long ago was this? Was this months? Remember how long they have, the messenger, originally? How, how long did they ask? Seven days. And they said to the messenger who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, so that original place, he said, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have your salvation. When the message, help is a coming. Right? Therefore, the men, uh, the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow, so they're talking to the, the bad dude, right? Tomorrow, we will give ourselves up to you. And you may do to us whatever seems good to you. Where's, what happened to their faith? What happened to the people like totally gave up? They're saying, hey, you know what? Salvation is coming. Tomorrow, you know what's going to happen? We're going to give ourselves up. We're going to, you could take our eye, right? Uh, verse 11. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them 
were left together. This whole yoke idea that, that, that not even two of them are in the same place anymore. The Ammonites are completely and utterly destroyed. There is no army. There's no group. There's no squad. There's nothing. It's just individuals, right? Verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, uh, who is that? Said, who is that said, shall Saul reign over us? Sarcastically, why would Saul do this, right? I don't, and that's what they're saying. Bring the men that, they, that we may put them to death. If anyone argues that this isn't our leader, get him out of here. If anyone's fighting that this isn't the guy who leads us, just kill him. We don't want anything to do with him. Verse 13, but Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day. For today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Who do the people credit for salvation? Who do the people credit for salvation? Saul. Who does Saul credit for salvation? Both, right? He absolutely, yes, absolutely, you're correct. It's both. Who, who ordained it? God. Who answered the call? Saul. Who showed up? Saul. Who, who made it so he showed up? God. See, see, we do this pick and choose game where it's this or that, the other, right? It's both. It's all the time, right? Uh, then Samuel said, uh, verse 14, Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gil- uh, Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and they, there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. They, uh, there they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. So I'm sitting there, and I read that many, many years ago, and I'm, I'm sure I've read it several times since, and I, and I just said, yeah, it's one great battle. Saul showed up with a bunch of guys, and he won. It's a numbers game, right? And I started thinking about this past week, and I was like, do I even want to preach? Uh, Two weeks ago, I guess, and I'm sitting there, do I even want to preach on this? Should I let Scott do it? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I'm like, what a great example of what leaders should do, right? You have this guy who's just anointed king, and he's doing farm work, by the way. He gets a call, and he answers, sitting there, I was like, I think we all could learn something. So if you look at your title uh, today, we're going to be talking about leading courageously. Uh, If you are wondering where I got that phrase from, say, you stole it. Because I stole it, right? I stole that straight from men's uh, Bible study. It's one of the pillars of, of what manhood looks, right? So what does leading courageously look like? Well, the first thing that, that, that Saul does and that we should do and that as a leader I failed to do when I started being a leader is find the goal. Find the goal. So much of the time you get people who are called to leadership, that are called to action, that are called to a new... And I'm, I'm just talking general leadership here, right? I'm not talking about leadership of church. Um, but they're called to something and they are so passionate. They have the anger. They know what's wrong. And they start a wailing, and they get mad, and they start yelling. They say, why is no one showing up on time? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why is there there's this wrong and that wrong? And look at the complaint box. It's so big and all these things. And, and it's, it's so much negativity. Guess what happens? 
do the employees stick around? Not for very long. <laughs> they, they're so passionate that, that there's no passion to go towards. It's just away from, right? Think about this. Uh, Rocky. Who's seen Rocky? I want hands. I want people to feel shame that I haven't seen Rocky. Okay, good. So, uh, yeah, we're a shame church when it comes to movies. Okay, I haven't figured that out. But, uh, so, so picture this. Rocky, one of the coolest scenes. He's doing the montage, right? And he's fighting. And he's punching the, the meat and all the steak. And he just keeps doing that. And then the movie's over. There's no fight scene at the end. He doesn't fight. He's just him punching meat and doing all that stuff. Mindless fighting does not make a good story. Getting all these people mad, getting all these people together, getting an army together and not going to war and not doing something with it? <sighs> Why'd you do it? So picture this. I'm 20. This is, I'm, 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 I'm 16. I, no, I couldn't have been 16. I'm, I'm legally, I'm actually 21. I have to think about that for a quarter of a second. I'm very young, right? So, like, I'm 21 because I, I just got to the age where, like, I don't know. Did you guys hear about alcohol? It's pretty awesome. So, like, I heard about alcohol. I'm working in this church, and I said, I want to incorporate. I want to get this, like, just this pharisaical way of thinking about alcohol and drinking and just Bible studies and all that stuff. I just want to be real with people. So I think about it, and I, I pray about it. I'm talking with my leader, some, some, some mentors I have outside of our church, and they, they tell me about this idea. They said, hey, uh, I, for years, I did this uh, thing. It's called theology or Bible on tap, where I'm and and it's just you just meet at. We met at the hop yard, right? Because the church was right over there. We met at the hop yard, and it was just this idea that hey, theology on tap. You just come, you have a beer, you read your Bible, and you move on with your day, and you just be real about it. And it's not the shame thing. It's not you're not trying to be this high and mighty thing, right? So I'm like, that's great. We're gonna promote it and do all this stuff. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. People get excited about this. And I'm like, yeah, this is so cool. I'm, I'm like fresh out of like uh, college and all this stuff. And I'm like, sweet, this is so cool. I'm making this successful thing. First meeting shows up, right? ton of people show up to this meeting. I have like three of my core like leaders that are going to help with the, the ministry and all that stuff. I have probably, and, and for a first meeting, and we were a small church, we had probably like 10 or 15 guys show up. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is awesome. And they're all sitting around. And they're like, so, so what is it? What do we do? And I was like, oh, no, this is it, <laughs> right? Like, what, what, what do we read? What do we do? What, what's, what's the plan? What are you trying to do? What do you want to grow? You want to do this? And I'm sitting there as a 21-year-old. I'm like, oh, no. Uh, well, let's all get, let's just have a fun week. Let's all get together next week and, and make a plan and see what, what do you guys want and where do you see the ministry going and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there, I'm scared because there's people who are like six times my age at that point. I'm sitting there, I'm like, what do I say to these people, right? And next week came, guess how many people showed up? One, me. There was no drive. There was no goal. There was a whole lot of excitement. There was a whole lot of promotion. There was a whole lot of passion. Absolutely no goal. There was no like, hey, I want to see us grow. Hey, I want to be a community. Hey, I want to spread word about our church. None of this. Pick something. Think about this. If Saul gets really mad, hey, there's a siege going on. I'm mad. Let's get an army. And they all say, great, we got this army. 300,000 people. What are we going to do, Saul? We're going to get mad. 
can I go back? Can I go home? And we go through life so much of the time with this passion, this drive, this desire, this anger, this righteous anger from God. And we say, we need to change. We need to do this. And then, we, and then as a staff or Scott or someone says, yeah, go for it. Start the Bible study. Start doing this. Start doing that. And it's like, ooh, I didn't mean me. <laughs> right? I meant like a general we should. Right? Like not a specific. Right? It's crazy. Without a goal, there's no drive, right? 1 Corinthians 9, 26 through 27. This is one of my first, uh, after John 3, 16, this is one of my first uh, Bible verses that I memorized because it was off a of summer camp we did. It says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. There's a point to boxing. There's a point to running, right? I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What if I'm sitting up here and I talk about how lying is bad or or whatever, plug it in, and then Monday morning, it's not real, but like, let's just say I'm like, hey, we should all just be loving and caring, right? And then you see me driving and I'm just flipping the bird and I'm doing all this stuff. You're going to be like, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? You ever go to a personal trainer at a gym and the guy's like, maybe, you know, and you're sitting there like, maybe you need a personal trainer? You know, like, you go to a diet and the guy's like, you know, like, I'm like, what's this talking about? Hey, leaders, when you say something, do it. Moms, dads, if you're teaching your kids something about this, do it. If you're teaching your kids that you should go to church, that they should go to church, and you ain't going to church, what are you teaching your kids? Really, don't go to church. If you're teaching your kids to eat veggies and you're eating McDonald's every single day, I love, woo, right? But, but, but like every single day, preach it, right? Thank you, right? If you're teaching all these things, disqualified. Does not matter what you're saying. If Saul has the passion without the goal, does not matter. Not helpful. Doesn't contribute. I've ran into so many people, and I'm just talking about the church as a universal concept, right? Not even our church. I've ran into so many people who are insanely passionate and then about something, and I throw out the absolute insane idea that maybe they do something with that passion. Maybe that passion is from God. And then I'm crazy. <laughs> you care so much about Mexico. Maybe you should go. Maybe you should give. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 right? Drive with a goal, right? So number one, find a goal. Number two, pursue the goal quickly. Pursue the goal quickly. What if Saul sits there, in all reality, what if Saul sits there and says, Wow, look at what I did. I got 300,000 people within a day or two to get to this one spot. Let's take a break. We got time. They got seven days. Let's take a break. Let's relax. Let's just, let's take it easy. There's a lot of people. Get your stuff ready. Sharpen your weapons. You know, do all this. Let's have a battle plan, right? What happens six days later? And they're all like, oh, no, 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 no. And they're running and they're running. They're going to show up. There's going to be a lot of eyes missing. What if you have a goal and you're very clear on that goal, 
emulated. Think about this. Think about the radical impact of waiting. What if Scott waited a little longer? Scott waits one more year, right, to start this church. Not ready. There's a lot of stuff. There's a ton of stuff, right? Like a church planter is a church planter. There's so much stuff going on, right? He says, I got so much logistic stuff to work on. I need to figure that out. Smart thing to do. You should have your ducks in a row. I got to figure out this and that and the other thing and all those things, right? He waits one year. What happens? Maybe the church doesn't get the place that they got. Maybe the ladies that were holding out waiting on us to come, maybe they gave it to somebody else. See, the, the impact goes far and, and very <laughs> impactful, right? I tell this story to the kids all the time, right, when they're, they're, they're picking schools and colleges, and I, and I say, listen, I had no idea what I wanted to do, right? Um, I, I was sitting there in my junior, senior year of high school, and that's when I got my call to ministry. I had no idea what that meant, but I said, I'm going to start. So I got a job at the church, and I start working, and then I got halfway through my senior year, and I said, oh yeah, college is a thing. And I'm sitting there, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm praying, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, where does God lead me? And I have no idea. And all I saw, all I was seeing, all the opportunities was leading me to DVC, right? And I said, great, God, I have no idea what you want me to do, but I'm going to go to DVC. So I went to DVC for two years, and about a year into it, I go to California Baptist University in Riverside, and I am sold. And I'm having quiet times there in the morning, and, and God is one of the most clear times in my entire life calling me to go to this school I look into it and I apply it and I say, it's a four-year school and, and your schooling doesn't really matter, <laughs> right? So your two years that you just did, sorry, you kind of wasted it. And I go through my entire, and I say, great, but that's what God wants me to do. Fine. And I go through my college, entire college career thinking that I wasted two years of my life and something beautiful happened in that school. I met my wife, and if I didn't go to those first two years of school, I never would have met her. It's an absolute audacity thing to think that we are wasting away when we are on track for God's plan. When God has called us to do something, it may seem like it's a waste. People who are wise, brilliant people, well, look at your life and say, why'd you do that? You kind of wasted that time at DVC. You weren't even, you didn't take much Christian and you're trying to be a pastor. Why'd you do that? God had a bigger plan than I could ever, 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 ever imagine. And what happens if I waited? What happens if I got a number of job? And what happens if I say, I, gotta, I can't go to DVC, right? God's got bigger plans for me. Yeah, and it was going to DVC, and I didn't know it. So it's not just about doing the goal. It's about doing the goal quickly. And, and, and I want to make a difference because I know that a lot of people are going to jump to this. Quickly does not mean rashly. Saul did not go into battle before he had the army. Saul said, I need an army. I need to make this decision before I go on to the next decision. Right? He made that decision quickly. But Saul shows up without an army. What happens to Saul? He dead. A lot of things change. You show up before you're supposed to show up. Uh, <laughs> right? 
So find the goal. Number two, pursue the goal quickly. Number three, oh, that's such a good one. It's okay. I'll skip it. You, oh, shoot. Okay. Yeah, we don't have time. I'll read it. I don't care who's here. Uh, so Ephesians 4, 25, we're going to go back. For, uh, verse 25 through 27. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let your sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. How much of the time do we, do we just push it off? And we believe the age-old lie that time heals everything. Yes, time may catalyst over thing, but there's no healing. It's a scar. It's messy. We haven't fixed the relationship. We haven't cured anything. We haven't let Jesus redeem the relationship. We just forgot about it because we are forgetful people. Let's actually move on now, okay? So verse 1, find the goal. Verse 2, pursue the goal quickly. Verse 3, Oh, whatever. I don't care. Uh, bring others with you. Bring others with you. Verse, uh, 1 Samuel 11 says, When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000. And the next day, Saul put them into three companies. Remember that idea that, hey, there's three companies. There's 300 people. They're coming as one person. A single goal. Why is it so vital for your company, your church, to have a mission statement? Because it lets everyone know. Not only does it let everyone in the community out there know who you are, we all agree that Rock Bible Church is, (laughs) we're a lot of things, right? (laughs) But we are compelling, we are casual, we are community. That's who we are. And yes, we're going to do it in kids, and that's going to look differently than how we're doing it in men's group, and that's going to look differently than how we're doing it in women's retreat. And that's a, but as a, as a singular unit, when you're talking about Rock Bible Church, we, uh, if I can add that we give out free food really well, right? But, but, but one, compelling, casual community. We are one body. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 12 says, or 1227, I think. Therefore, uh, it, it, we are one body, but it, it is, has many parts. But all its many parts make up one body. You are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that there's a toe and you need your toe? Do you believe that there's a finger and you need your finger? Do you believe that there's a voice and we need the voice? I don't think we do. And it's not because the way we all think we are. We, we approach this verse and we say, we all have different parts and I'm going to work hard and I shouldn't feel bad and I shouldn't look down on Susan because Susan's doing something else. And I shouldn't look at Susan as something lesser because she's not on stage talking. She's not paying the bills. I know that if Susan doesn't show up, we're going to be missing a part of the body. Agree. How do I know then? I don't hear that ever. In, in my time here, no one has ever come up to me and then said, hey, Nicole really doesn't care about women's ministry. Right? Like, I've never heard that kind of stuff. I've never heard that whoever's getting the donuts really is bad. They should choose more chocolate. Right? I've never heard this. <laughs> right? How do I know that we don't get this whole body, we're one body thing? Right? In a very silly way. Here's the silly point, but it brings up a very true statement. We're doing this volunteer lunch thing. Right? 
And I come up here two, three weeks, and I say, hey, if you're a volunteer, sign up. And the week after that, hey, if you, if you volunteer in any capacity, sign up. So just do this QR code. Sign up with the email, right? Number one response. Guess what it was? It's not yes. Number one response. Maybe. It's not no. Maybe. Number one response. It's not maybe. It's not I'm busy. It's not uh, my kid's birthday. It's not I'm out of town that weekend. Number one response. Are you ready? I'm not really a volunteer. I know that's for volunteers, but I only... Huh. Huh. Do we get that? Do we understand that even if if you're picking up donuts, that you are a vital part of the body? Do we understand that if you are quilting quilts for kids that are now going to know Jesus because they received a gift from some random lady in Pleasanton because you didn't do it. Oh, maybe try harder. You know, it's not that big. Oh, you only help out in Camp Rock? Oh, oh, uh, you only invest in a kid's eternity? That's all you're doing? Who gave their life to Christ because of a vacation Bible school? Anybody? Nobody. That's a shocker. As an absolute, usually when you talk about that in a church, it's 50, 60%. I'm not even, I'm not even exaggerating. I'm not doing the Brent or Scott exaggeration time, right? These are real numbers, right? Right? And work down the line. Oh, you only play guitar? Oh, you only, oh, you only lead people to the very cross and they could worship God because of your commitment to coming to practice on Thursdays and coming up a little early on Sunday, that's all you're doing? If you are a little toe, be the absolutely best little toe you could possibly be and tell everybody that you are the best little toe. And if you weren't a best little toe, Rock Bible Church wouldn't have a little toe. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm going to be a little upset if, if I hear one more person say, oh, I, 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 the volunteer lunch is just that for me. I just I, I show up and I quote the whole thing and I leave. I'm gonna, if you can't come, fine. But don't make that the reason. We are one body. Why do I care so much? Because it hurts. It hurts when I come Monday through Friday, Sundays, and I'm working, and, and I see all you people come. I'm getting paid to do this, people, and you're coming because you want to? Because Jesus told you to shovel dirt? And you have the audacity to, to just show up and do that day after day, but it's only shoveling dirt, and it's only taking care of kids it's only playing the piano fill in whatever you're doing if you don't do it folks we are missing a body part we are missing our right eye we are missing our left eye something is wrong we need you we absolutely need god but we can't pretend that this works because Scott's here. We can't pretend that this works because Megan's here or, or whatever. This works 
Because the body showed up. Every single piece of it. And they showed up and they were compelling. And they showed up and they were casual and they showed up and they were community. And today we are going to do something that totally symbolizes that in a very real way. We're doing communion. We're saying as a church, yeah, we are the body of Christ and we absolutely need the body of Christ. And we may only do this once a month, but remember, this is a big deal. And you may come to church and you may, you may just have come for the first Sunday of every month. And you're like, man, these people do this all the time. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just bread. It's just grape juice, whatever. Who cares, right? Or you could say, wow, this is a big deal. <laughs> Christ gave his life for me. And this is one way that every single person in this room says, hey, we're fighting together. We're battling together for one goal one reason because we are the body of christ dear lord i just pray for this time of communion that we just uh take it in a way that honors you god that we do not uh we we don't take it lightly we don't take it in a way that that is demeaning towards what it is god i just pray that we understand the the massive impact that that community has on us as a whole father I just pray that if anyone in this room feels lonely or alone or whatever, that they know that you are absolutely with them, but they are a part of a body who cares about them, who loves them, who, care, who needs them. God, we do not function properly without every single piece of the body, God. Pray for all these things in your name. Amen. So come up whenever you want during the song. If you need uh, gluten-free or don't care, you can go to this one over here. And this is the normal Jesus. So come up during whenever and uh, just take it as, as you will. Uh, your, 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 your benediction today is actually the last fill-in. If you've heard nothing today, this is your fill-in that's going to get all the other fill-ins, right? And it's something I invented, definitely me, and you can tell Scott that I invented it and not him, right? And I definitely didn't steal this from him, right? But here's the mantra for this week. Here's the mantra that you should keep saying throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout this year, okay? You ready? Going to goal at speed with numbers okay going to goal at speed with numbers go to your goal at speed with numbers go with him guys mexico meeting right out there okay see you guys around
That's fine. <laughs>